Well, we are beginning now a series that we are calling Rooted. And so I uh, was praying for quite a while on how to uh, term this, where we would say, what are, what are some of the spiritual formation ideas that we would see in the life of every Christian who is truly following Jesus? Not, not at just attending church, but truly becoming a disciple, a follower. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 1, Psalm 1. And we're going to start there because David very poetically expresses what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to trust God. All right, Psalm 1, 1 through, 1 through 6. If you got to say got it or if we're staring at the screen, say got it. Got it. All right. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And listen to this. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, say all. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked will perish. I want you to notice the progressions that as I was studying this week, I opened up the Bible Project, see what they thought about this. And by the way, great videos. We've done a lot of life groups. And back when we had Sunday school back in the day, we did the Bible Project for uh, many of those things. So check them out on YouTube or their app, the Bible Project. But I love what these theologians pointed out. Notice this progression. He who, what, first walks, everybody say walks, and then stands, and then sits. Notice the progression of compromise. Do you see that? First you're walking, and you're kind of listening, and maybe now, now you're standing, now you're, maybe somebody's, uh, you know, just gossiping, or somebody's just slandering, and now, now it's like, oh yeah, I think so too. Now we're standing together, now we're agreeing, now we're, sit, now we're seated together. Right? Now, what's the result of that? It becomes like a person who's like chaff, right? But the opposite of that is someone who is rooted in the Lord. Someone whose who's fruit and their leaves are green at all times. Didn't sink in over here. I'm going to try this side. Someone whose leaves are green at all times. That was very natural. We're just going to cut in the, for video. Yeah. Um, all times you're bearing fruit. And because and, every trial now is an opportunity to trust. Every trial is an opportunity to see God still show his goodness. Because what? You're rooted in God. And there's a lot of believers who are so easily shaken. Why? They're not. Rooted. Everybody say rooted. So what, are, what should we be rooted in? We should be rooted in grace. Rooted in grace. In the goodness of God. In who God is. What did Jesus come to express to us? The grace of God. Look at this. Look at Jeremiah 17, verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. There's that word trust again. He's like a tree planted by the water who sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear 
Come on, does not fear when he comes, its leaves remain green. Doesn't that sound like we just read? That's a Christian who is rooted. So when a pandemic comes, so when a, a loss comes, so when a job is threatened, so when whatever, you say, oh, well, actually, my trust is in the Lord, so I'm not worried. And I've met so, I've talked to so many of you in this body of believers that are rooted, and it's one of the most beautiful things. See, someone who is rooted is not anxious. They're not worried. Why? Their trust is in the Lord. They're rooted in grace. Now, I thought it would be good. We're going to look at the book of uh, Colossians, and we're going to do a little uh, kind of expository preaching this month. But before we get there, we'll go about halfway through the sermon, we'll get there. I first want to give you a picture of grace. To me, it's one of my favorite pictures of grace. So turn in your Bibles to John 4. John 4. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a little bit about John 1, just to give you a minute to turn there. As you're turning there, I want you to, I want you to hear John 1. Man, if you're taking notes or just write this circle, in the, right in the middle of John 1, you're going to see that God pours out grace upon grace. I had a sermon title called that two years ago, Grace Upon Grace. That it's like you receive God's goodness, you receive his forgiveness, but now you're also enabled for righteous living. Come on, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is I don't get the punishment I deserve. Grace is getting the blessing you don't deserve. And you get mercy and grace. Come on. You get blessing, Harry, you get blessing and then some more blessing. And then a basket of blessing. Look at John 4. Look at this, John 4. Okay, I love this. He, Jesus, we're going to read the text and we're going to talk about it. Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he passed through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field Jacob had given to his son Joseph. We'll come back to that in a minute. Jacob's well was there. This is a prestigious well, a historical well. This is Jacob's well. By the way, it still springs up water to this day. Still to this day. So Jesus, wearied, he's tired from the journey, he's sitting beside the well. He's a, it's at the sixth hour of the day, so that means 12 noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away to buy some food. Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman from Samaria? Just picture her shaking her head. Can anybody hear the sarcasm already? In fact, the Bible even gives you a little, little parenthesis there. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. We'll come back to that in a minute. Jews answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is talking to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And Jesus is speaking obviously in third person. If you knew who I am, you would ask me for water. The woman said, sir, you don't even have a bucket. Come on. I love when people don't know who Jesus is. I love it. I mean, I don't actually love that. That came out really odd. But you know what I meant. Like in the text. Okay, we'll come back to that. Don't, nobody tweet that. Okay. So, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob? 
He gave us this well and drank from it himself and all his sons and all his livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, there's, there's a reason why that spring still has not stopped to this day. Jesus was giving a little picture. The woman said, give me this water and I'll never have to be thirsty again. By the way, she's still cynical. That's called sarcasm. This is the woman, like, if she was alive in 2020, you know, she would go to Five Below and buy the shirt that says, sarcastic? Who, me? No. That's that one. I have four daughters, so we go there a lot. Um, Jesus said, go, call your husband. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. You have no husband because you've had five. And we take a deep breath. It's about to get real. What you've said is true, the woman said. I see you're a prophet. And now she's turned turn, turn the wheels. Well, if you're a prophet, and then I'm going to get something straight, because my ancestors say you have to worship on this mountain, and they say you have to worship over there, and the Jews say you have to worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, listen, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Right now you worship what you do not know, and we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people who worship him. And by the way, I, I personally witnessed that this morning. The way you guys were just loving Jesus and singing to God and bowing down and raising your hands. I looked around and saw tears. That worshiping in spirit and in truth, whether you're in a heated building or a dirt floor, what doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter, that mountain, this mountain, Asia, right? It doesn't matter. America, you're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And look at this. Look what happens next. God is spirit. Jesus continues, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. Now, she's speaking to the Messiah. Okay. I know the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, here comes the mic drop, right? Jesus says, I am he. I mean, I feel the Holy Spirit even just saying that. Can you imagine what she felt? Jesus looks at her with eternal eyes and says, I am he. You got to know that every goose bump, come on, on her body, right? Her hair had to stand up on the back of her head. The disciples were coming back at that time, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar, I love that, and went into the town to tell all the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town, they came to him. Other gospels said they came to him and put their faith in him. This is a woman who came at 12 noon alone. Now, it was custom for women in that time to go gather water in the early morning 
or in the evening because it's so hot during the day. In fact, when I went there to Israel, it was so hot, and it was January. And I remember saying, 1 o'clock, 12 noon, 1 o'clock, it would get up in the 80s. And I, I remember our tour guide and Bishop Stearns, a couple times they said, yeah, it can get high 90s, sometimes hundreds in the middle of the day. That's why you don't see people out and about at 1 o'clock. So she came to avoid people. Avoid people. Why? She's, she's already been married five times. Now, as I was studying this, I used to think that, okay, so maybe she was a woman who, you know, maybe she slept around. That's usually the idea there. Oh, a little light pop, electricity pop. Uh, but some, some pastors, some theologians believe in that culture, it was such a shame to be able to, to not have kids that she could have simply been married, not had kids, and then passed on, then divorced. And then married again, and then another letdown. Another, so imagine the shame she feels. Imagine the rejection she feels. And Jesus comes to her and engages with her. Now you have to realize how she responded to Jesus. Very sarcastic, very cynical. And by the way, if you're not careful, you will let your pain become your identity. If you're not careful, you will let your pain become your identity. And Jesus is standing right in front of her, and she can't recognize him at first. You can be blinded by your pain. Let me say that. You can be blinded by your pain. Hope can be standing right in front of you. But your pain, if you're not careful, can become a filter through which you see all things. And she was a Samaritan. And back 800 years earlier, and you can read about this in 1 Kings 17, I believe it was, when I was studying this, um, they were invaded. The Jewish people were invaded. And the guy who took over, Omri, the kingdom of, of Israel was, was split into two. But Omri, who had taken over, um, had built right there a town called Sikar and called it Samaria, the outer part called Samaria. And had claimed kind of that well to be right there. But everybody knew it was his, this historical well. And he paid a great deal of money for it. But think about the irony of this moment. She comes to Jacob's well. Given to Jacob by Joseph. Jesus is the new Joseph. I've talked about Joseph before. Where Jesus was betrayed by his brother, a brother named Judas. Joseph was betrayed by Judah sold into slavery, in a pit, but then elevated to the highest seat of the land and given all authority. It's a picture of Jesus. So Jesus comes to the well Joseph had given. And Jesus is the well sitting at the well. And she came to the well to get some water. But now, after experiencing the living well, she becomes a well and leaves the well to become a well. Come on, let me say that again. Let me just say that again. Jesus is the living well coming to the well. Everybody say, got it. The woman comes to the well just to get some water. But she experiences what? The living water, the living well. And she's so excited, she leaves her bucket. Because now the things of this world mean a lot less to you once you've experienced Jesus, the living well. And she goes and she tells everybody in town about it. And what happens? They come out to experience Jesus. And they put their faith in Jesus. This is a woman who was avoiding people, and now she's willfully engaging people. You are one encounter with God away from an entirely different life. 
one encounter with Jesus, her response is bitterness. Her response is cynicism. Oh, of course, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman, so you're going to ask me. You're too lazy to drop the bucket. I have to get the bucket for you. Right? But then all of a sudden her heart comes alive when Jesus says, I am he. And she realizes this is the Messiah. Guys, if that's not a picture of grace, you realize Jesus chose to go there. To be rooted in grace, you have to realize that God comes to you before you come to God. To be rooted in grace, you have to realize that God comes to you. Jesus came to her. I love that Jesus confronts us in our cynicism and in our pain. Because, see, her first response is bitterness and cynicism. And if you don't confront the pain and anger in your heart, you will let that sin become your identity. But Jesus sees your pain, he sees your prejudice, and he wants to confront it. And he wants to give you grace. And then what does grace produce? Grace produces a hope, a fruit, a joy that now you're bearing fruit. Now you're bearing fruit. Now she wants to engage with people. This is a person who before was trying to be alone. But now she goes and she tells everybody. By the way, I love too that Jesus doesn't ignore her pain. Did anybody else see it? He acknowledges her pain. I know you've had five men reject you, huh? Right? He acknowledges your pain. He wants you to acknowledge where you're at and be honest with him. Now, I noticed something, because one of the things you do when you're, when you're studying the word or writing a sermon, I encourage you guys to do this just as you're studying, is to never just read, you know, a paragraph. Sometimes just back up and read the chapter before, because when they were writing, it's not like they were just separating chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. They're writing, and I want you to notice the juxtaposition of John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, right before this story, John brilliantly puts a contrast right there of Nicodemus, a religious, elite, wealthy man who's Jewish who encountered Jesus and was unwilling to be born again. And then an outcast woman from Samaria meets Jesus. Come on. The same Jesus and gives her heart and comes alive. And Nicodemus went away sad. And she went away, what? Glad, excited, full of joy. How will you respond to Jesus? John makes this contrast between the woman at the well and Nicodemus of chapter 3 because he wants us to see that both the religious and the rejected need to be rooted in grace. Let me say that again. Both the religious and the rejected need to be rooted in grace. And I have to, uh, uh, this is an invitation this is an invitation, but it's also a challenge for those of you who have been following Jesus a long time. Because if you're not careful, you can become the religious. You can become the, the Nicodemus who doesn't even want to engage with the Samaritan woman, if you will. I promise you, if you're not careful, 
Some of you don't believe me, so turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you and me. Go ahead, look at him. It's so true because you can be more, you can post on social media about Christians breaking rules and never have met your neighbor. You can get really excited and passionate about everybody who's breaking the rules and never have someone over to your house for dinner. And this is why Jesus was called friend of sinners. He was always with people. Thieves, tax collectors, Samaritan woman. I mean, the disciples come up and they're thinking, why are you talking with her? Jesus wants everybody to know his love. Everybody. And you got to get this message. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor Jordan, you preach on this grace thing a lot. I know. It's why we're here. It's what we're doing. That's what church is. We're celebrating the grace of God. That while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Romans 5 Come on, says it like this. I'm going to back up. I know I'm a little bit off, media team. Please forgive me. Going back to page four, Romans five. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That woman did not have peace. She had strife in her life. She had worry. Who am I going to see him by? Who's going to mock me today? Who's going to give me a dirty look today? She was missing peace. But notice Nicodemus in John 3 is also missing peace. Why else would he come to him in the middle of the night, worried other religious leaders might see him? Through Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. Everybody say grace. Everybody say grace. Which we stand and we rejoice. So what's the result of grace? Rejoicing, right? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice even in our sufferings because we know that in our sufferings, it produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. That's a lot of fruit. Character, endurance, hope, love, and peace. These are fruit that if you're here today, you have likely eaten that fruit from somebody else's tree. Somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody was rooted, and because they were rooted in grace, you took from their tree. Come on. Think right now of the person who led you to Jesus or the person who brought you to church. And I love seeing that. There's a bunch of you that are just like, literally, you're just like so here in the gospel today. You're just, your whole body's moving. I love it. Why? You're receiving, the, you're, you're getting this deeper revelation of grace. And I need it all the time. You need this greater revelation of grace. Tom, every time we come into, the God's, into God's house, we get this deeper revelation of grace. Not of some deep other revelation of grace. A better understanding. Because he keeps getting better and better and better, just like we were singing about. While we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for us, the ungodly. He goes on to say, like, look, it might be possible that you die for a good person, but to die for a criminal, it's not likely. While we were enemies, he died for us. Look at verse 17. Because of one man's trespasses, Adam, death reigned throughout that one man, much more will receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness and life through one man named Jesus Christ. And I love this. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And there's people who think they're too far from God. 
There's people at your work who think they're too far from God. There's no way they could ever be a Christian, a churchgoer, a religious person. There's no way. And they're waiting for you to explain grace. They're waiting for you to explain how good God is. Again, this woman was bitter and angry, but she experienced God. Sounds a lot like our older brother story last week, doesn't it? The older brother needed the grace of the father, just like the boy who ran away. And in the same sense, in the exact same fashion, the person who's willing to admit their need for grace is ended up filling with joy. They're partying with everybody. And who's the person off in the corner with their arms folded? <laughs> I don't know if he said that, but probably did. Is the older brother who's had all the blessings of the father his whole life. And that's the religious elite. Every time Jesus is praying with somebody or talking with somebody like Zacchaeus or whoever, the religious elite are off in the corner like, oh, I can't believe he's talking about the father. Anybody have teenagers, daughters? Is Sayla in here? Oh, thank goodness. Anybody? You ever seen that? You guys ever seen that? Don't, I see some of you parents touching your children. Don't do that. That's what religious elite. Any of you guys ever have teens that drop the shoulder and walk? Have you ever seen that? Like, what is happening? Are you having a stroke? Should I call 911? You know what I'm saying? You have to take out the truck. Why are you? Are you caving under the weight of conviction right now as I'm asking you to do something? We won't get up. We're not talking about parenting. Help me, Lord. All right. That's the religious elite. Oh, it's like. See, the religious person will see like what happened earlier and they'll be like, oh, I can't believe they're just throwing money like that. What a waste. And then everybody who understands grace, they're just like, bless them, Lord. Honey, do you have any more cash? You know what I'm saying? Come on, you know what I'm saying? Why? Because you've been filled with grace. And this is the heart of this message. When you rooted with grace, you share grace. And we are living, hear me, in a graceless society. A very graceless society. You don't do what I think you should do, you're off. Cancel you. See ya. You don't belong here anymore. We live in a very graceless society, and Jesus came to confront that head on because he is grace. And so when you're rooted in grace, hear me, you start to bear the fruit of grace. You say, what opportunities are there available for me to express grace? You say, Pastor Dave, is there any way I can express grace in Cortland? I live in Cortland. Are you doing an outreach soon? You say, Pastor Andrew, is there any way I can express grace? Are you passing out to spread the gobble? I want to come. I got like 25 turkeys in the freezer. You know, I've got like a, that would be a huge freezer. I didn't think to do that. But, you know, <laughs> I want to express grace. You know what I'm saying? I want to express grace. Because you realize what? You've been given grace. Oh, somebody say, you're getting it now. Turn to your friend. Come on, you're getting it now. Colossians, 
Colossians talks about this. And so we're only going to get into chapter 1 today, but over the next month, we're going to look at the book of Colossians. Paul wrote this letter to the people of Colossae from the cold dungeon of a Roman prison. This was his first time in a Roman prison. The second time would be his last. He had seen God's spirit prompt Philemon and others to plant churches in the expansion of God's kingdom. We read about that in Acts 19. We talked about planting churches just about 20 minutes ago, right? The planters reported back to Paul of some of the believers and what they were saying in Colossae. And you have to understand that in that town, there was this, all of a sudden, this heavy Jewish influence where they were adding rules to grace. They were adding rules to grace. And today's culture, hear me, seems to be doing exactly the same thing the Colossians were doing, simply adding Jesus to their tradition. Jesus is not something to be added to your liturgy. Jesus is not something to be added to your tradition. Like we do this on Monday, we do this on Tuesday, we do this on Wednesday, and a little Jesus on Sunday, and a little this on Thursday. No, no, Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is Lord or not. Like he is Lord, right? And so, what, but they were adding this and they were starting to require this of new converts. Other Jewish uh, messages uh, or protocols. Today's culture is no different. This is in stark contrast to the teachings of Jesus, of God's grace and forgiveness that comes through repentance. I want, to require, I want to remind you, Jesus and nothing else is required for your salvation. I want to remind you what Romans teaches you, what Ephesians teaches you, what Galatians teaches you, what Jesus expressed and lived out. Jesus and nothing else is required for the enjoyment of the abundant life. That's why you can come into a lot of money and just have more problems. Jesus and nothing else is the target, the bullseye that your soul longs for. And then you can be blessed, and like the proverb says, the Lord will bless the godly and add no trouble to it. Because what? You're rooted in grace. Now you can have a financial blessing, and it truly is a blessing. Somebody said, that promise was for me. Somebody received that Jesus and only Jesus will fill you with the very thing your mind, soul, and body craves. Now, I want to give a warning to you. Can I, can I be your pastor for a minute and give a warning to you? Okay? You have to be careful of phrases like, I just need a church that goes deeper. You have to be careful. Right? You have to be careful. At someone who was just so, was so excited about getting this manual from this prior, um, this prior person, evangelist. And then that person ended up talking less of people who didn't have the prayer manual. I'll give you another example. I was sent this video one time of this person <laughs> who's sharing, he's a minister and he's talking about this deeper revelation that he had been given. And for some reason, my skin started to crawl. And listen what he said. I wrote it. I was so shocked. I opened my phone and wrote it down. 
So my phone's right there. It syncs up to pages on my iPad. I wrote it down. I said, whoa, warning. And I wrote this down. For those of you who are listening at home, you should probably know you won't be able to receive this revelation I have. Be careful of any minister who gives you the indication that he is more spiritual than you, so you're probably not going to get it. Oh, I literally just went like this. Oh. Everybody just shake your shoulders. Oh. Right? I was like, delete. X, don't want to hear that guy. Don't subscribe. You can't get deeper than the beauty of Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. To go into the gifts, to go into uh, what is Revelation saying and what will this look like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this idea that we've just got to go deeper and find something more special than Jesus. Friend, you're, now you're in trouble. There is nothing more beautiful or better than Jesus. And the more you experience Jesus, the more you sense his grace and you want to go tell everybody about his grace. And you, by the way, become more accessible, not less accessible. Somebody said that was for me. We're all brothers and sisters. And Jesus is our brother who literally called God our father. When the disciples said, hey, Jesus, you know, we see you early in the morning and you go off to pray. Can you teach us how to do that? He didn't say, well, you really don't know how to do it right. Did he say that? Come on, did he say that? He said, oh, I'll teach you right now. It goes like this. Our Father. Come on, this is the Son of God seated at the right hand praised forevermore by a multitude of angels. And he says, our father, you can have exactly what I have. Same father, same grace, same God, right? That's unbelievable. Our goal, hear me, is, ne is neither to get them to view, when you're making a disciple, when you're leading someone to follow Jesus, everything the way, see, view everything the way we view it. Our goal is to love and befriend people into a process that surrenders their life to the Lordship of Jesus. To the surrender of the Holy Spirit. Because as you're doing this with brothers and sisters in the Lord, they might say, well, I feel called to do this. And instead of thinking, well, that's not how I feel called to do it. I'm not called to do that. Instead of... Uh, belittling or whatever, you might encourage them to say, well, let's pray about that together because if God is speaking that to you, then maybe God does want you to do that. Right? You might have a friend, this isn't in my sermon, so I'm just trusting this. You might have a friend say, I feel like the Lord wants me to take this other job, but it pays $4,000 less. Is that crazy? Am I crazy? You say, well, God would never do that. No, you don't say that. Because you're teaching them to surrender to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So now you say, let's pray about it together. And since you're a child and you have a voice with the good shepherd, and he promised you the same thing he promised me, that I'm the shepherd and you're my sheep. And if I'm talking, you can hear me. So let's pray about that together. And you pray and you say, now listen, if you get this witness from the spirit right here in your gut, that that's what God wants you to do, you go for it. And I'm in your corner. 
I believe in you. That's, that's how you respond to something like that, right? Your goal as we follow Jesus together is to get people, again, not to view everything the way you view. And can I also say, it's not to Americanize them. If the gospel doesn't work in Portugal, it's not the gospel. The gospel works no matter where you are, because it's about God forgiving you and giving you a relationship with him. Right? And that's our goal. When we have a life group together, when we discuss the goodness of God together, we're talking about Jesus and his grace. It's not that they agree with all of our values. It's that they agree with biblical values. There's a subtle difference, but there is a difference. I want to close with this. One minute, this woman at the well is avoiding people in shame. A minute after encountering Jesus, she's an evangelist. Think about that. One minute, she's cowered down in shame. She doesn't want any of the other ladies in town to see her. So she's not going at 7 a.m. and she's not going at 7 p.m. She's going at 12 noon in the heat of the day. Jesus is exhausted. He's hot. He's tired just like she is. And Jesus comes for a drink. And her first response and maybe your first response to Jesus was also cynicism. Oh, you say you're a good God? Well, then why did this relative die of cancer? You might be mad at God. And God is not afraid of your hard questions. Can I tell you that? Well, if you're God, then why did I go through this divorce? God is not afraid of your difficult questions. He wants to talk with you about them. But if you keep avoiding him, you can't discuss them with you, and he can't bring you to a place of healing. Get honest with God. Let him confront those beliefs. Let him confront that hurt and that pain. And watch, you will, like this woman, walk away full of joy. I want to repeat something. She left her water jar. That just jumped out to me as I read it earlier. And that wasn't in my sermon, that part about the water. I want to say that again. When you experience the living well, okay, let me zoom out. Let me back up. Before you experience the living well, all of your um, values and concerns are based on temporary things. I need to get water, and I need it today, and I need it now. When you experience Jesus, she forgot about the water. I just love, can you imagine she runs to town, she's telling everybody, I was at the well. And they're like, where's your bucket? I forgot it because Jesus was there. Come on, everybody stand to your feet. Some of you need to look around and be like, I forgot, I don't even care about that problem that used to be my problem. That problem that I thought was so big that I thought that was my real need. No, Jesus knows your real need is not something you can get in this world. 
It's not that jar of water. Your real need is not that promotion at work. And you're stressing about it and you can't go to sleep. And you're like, man, I need, I have to get that rate. If I don't get that, then this isn't going to happen. And this is going to happen. Then it's a domino effect. And you're playing this thing out in your mind and you're lacking peace. Why? Because you've put your uh, trust in a temporary thing. That's okay to pray about those things, but give them to God. Trust God. Say, God, if this is, if this is you, Lord, I, I am rooted in grace. I'm rooted in trusting you and I'm not shaken. Because what did Psalm say? That tree that's planted by the streams that the Lord provides, it bears fruit and it succeeds in everything it does. Guys, I want you to succeed in everything you do. Ray, I want your business to succeed. I want you to succeed not only as a couple, but as a family, as parents over the children that God, the, the 35 children that God has brought into your home. Come on, you're gonna succeed. You're gonna be strong enough. They're gonna grow to adults and say, you changed my life, Ray. You changed my life, Nicole. You're gonna succeed. And God wants you to succeed. But it doesn't come just because you, you think, okay, well, God's gonna make me happy. No, no, no. You're gonna be rooted in this idea that God forgave you of all your mess. You're rooted in grace. And when you're rooted in grace, you start to bear the fruit of grace. You start to give grace. Instead of somebody that used to give the evil eye to. I feel like I'm prophesying right now. Maybe there's somebody at work that you walk past their office and, and then you come to church. How great thou art. God doesn't hear how great thou art. You know what he's thinking about when you've given somebody the evil eye every time you pass their office. Come on. Be so rooted in grace that Monday through Friday looks just like Sunday. You're so rooted in grace, you're bearing fruit. Like the Psalm 1 says, your leaves are green at all times. I'm not saying you're gonna come to a place of perfection. I'm not saying that. Yes, we're always gonna be in this continual walk of sanctification, absolutely. But I'm telling you, there's a place in God where you can get to where you're not shaken. Where somebody absolutely disgusts you at work, where you get not a promotion, but a demotion. And you're like, it's okay, I trust the Lord. Seriously, how many say, I wanna to come to that place where I'm so, come on, if you say, I wanna to get to that place where I'm so rooted in God's goodness and God's grace that I'm unshaken by anything that comes in this world. I'm gonna bow your heads, I wanna pray for you. I first wanna give an opportunity to anyone who needs to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you say, I do wanna know the Lord as my Savior because I'm, I'm kind of like Nicodemus and I've known about church things and religious things, but I've actually never admitted my sin. I've never let God make me born again, a new person. If you need that right now, if you know you need forgiveness, you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, or maybe you did it 10 years ago and you wanna renew that, can you raise your hand right now? I wanna pray a prayer of salvation with you. That's incredible, I see that hand, that's so awesome. We're, we've been praying for you. Yes, I see another person. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, young man. Three people today. Thank you, Lord. I've been praying for you. I want you to know I, I walk in this sanctuary every Thursday and I pray for you to receive Christ. You who just raised your hand, there's been a lot of people praying for your salvation. And we're gonna pray this prayer together right now. 
we're all going to say it together if you don't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you saw me in the midst of my problems, in the cynicism of my pain, and you loved me anyway. Thank you that you see me for who I will be, not for who I've been. Make me your child today. My heart is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate right now that God... And I want to share... Can everybody just bow your head right now, except you in the white shirt. Everybody bow your head for just a minute. I want to tell you something, young man. God is going to be the father to you. I hear the word father when I look at you. I know you're a grown man, but inside you want the father. And I want to tell you, God is the father you've been looking for. And so God, I bless him with an outpouring of your love that he would realize he's already loved. I see medals and trophies on a uh, bookshelf, right? And the Lord says, I saw those trophies. And the Lord says, I high five you. God sees those trophies, but can I, I want to tell you, those trophies don't change his love for you. He already loves you. He already calls you his son. He thinks you're awesome. He thinks you're amazing. He says, son, I'm proud of you. Words you've wanted to hear, I want you to hear this. Father God says to you, I am proud of you, and I'm getting your attention today. I'm proud of you, and I love you, and I love you, and I always will, and I always have. I love you, and I always will, and I always have. God wants you to know that today. Let his love change you right now. It's changing you. You can feel it, can't you? It's filling your whole body. It's changing you. You're a new person today, young man. You're new. Everything is, everything is changed. The old is past. It's gone. You're a new person. It, it's, it's completely new. It's completely new. There's going to be a joy. I also see a clenched fist that's going to become an open hand. The Lord says, I'm taking away the anger. The Lord says, I'm taking away the anger. Just stretch your hands towards this young man. God's delivering him right now. The Lord says, I'm taking away the anger and the clenched fist. The Lord says, there'll be no more temper. There'll be no more of that because I'm healing you from the inside out. The Lord says, I see you for who you've always been. You're my son, my child. I love you. There's nothing you need to do to prove yourself to me. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I have always have, I always will. I love you today. I loved you when you were 10. I loved you when you were five. And I'm taking away every anger, every hurt. And I am gonna fill you with my love. And the Lord also says there's a calling on your life. The Lord also says there's a calling. And it's like gold. The Lord says it's like gold. The Lord says it's like gold. There's a calling on your life, young man. There's been times you have led people, but you've led them 
uh, the wrong way, the Lord says, I'm going to teach you to, to, I see a gold necklace on you. The Lord says, come on, I have made you, I have made you a leader. Uh, there's a reason why you wear that gold necklace. And the Lord says, I'm going to give meaning to everything in your life, young man. I'm going to give meaning to everything in your life. The Lord says, I am giving you true gold. You've longed for gold of the world, but the Lord says, I'm giving you true gold. I'm giving you favor and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And the Saul to Paul moment is now. The Saul to Paul moment is now. You're going to walk in my ways, and you're going you're gonna to please me. You're going to go where I tell you to go. I see your foot going into a lot of places, hard places, cinder block wall places. And the Lord says, I'm going to use you. You're going to be my mouthpiece. The Lord says, you will be my mouthpiece. Don't persecute me. Don't be mad at me. The Lord says, just surrender to me. Just like he said to Saul, just surrender. Let me love you. Let me take care of you. Let me be Lord. And he's going to replace an angry fist with an open hand. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in his life. I want to one more time comment about the gold. I see gold, man. He's going to bless you. He's going to bless you, but hear me, it's not just to make you happy. Yes, he wants to make you happy because he loves you, but it's not just to make you happy. It's so that you can be a home to others. And the Lord says, the father that you wanted, you will become to many. The father that you wanted, you will become to many. I see a one-bedroom home becoming a bigger home so that you can be a father to many. The father that you wanted, you will be. The father that you wanted, you will be. And I will express my love through you. Other young men who are hurting are going to come to you. They're going to trust you. Some of them already do, and they don't know why they trust you. There's other men who already look to you and you don't even know why. You've actually thought, why do they even want to be around me? Why have they? Why do they keep hanging out? It's because they look up to you because there's something in you that you don't see. There's a leadership gifting in you that they see. A lot of times people can see the anointing and the person who is anointed doesn't see it. They all see it. They may not say anointing, but they see something in you. And what they see in you is the promise of God. And he is going to bless you. He's going to promote you. But it's all so that you can be a father to hurting young men. I bless you and all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Woo. Thank you, Lord. High five, and, high five somebody. Say, God's good. Come on. Yeah. God is so good.